Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's Tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers continue to own the Bears, although Chicago did put in a bid for ownership with a good first-half performance at Lambeau Field. But what did Matt Nagy do wrong this time to stop the transition of ownership? Is the Bears' real ownership team going to own up to their mistakes and do something about the slumlord conditions they've created for Bears fans? We've got a lot to debate. And that's why we call this show The Bear Debate. Welcome, one and all, to the Bear Debate. My name is Aldo Gandia. I am really looking forward to uh, this episode because we've got a lot to complain about. We've got a lot to bitch about. we got a lot to moan about. Just like the factor says, I can't wait to hear John and Tyler rant about Sunday. So that's exactly what we're going to do. And we're going to start first with introductions. Let me start with my man, Tyler Ellis. Tyler, how are you, brother? Oh, yeah, the Bears did lose. I forgot. I, I, I already moved past it. <laughs> I already moved past it. Um, I'm good, brother. I'm I'm good. Even even in struggle, we still must stay positive. And so I, I'm practicing what I preach. The Bears did lose. I just actually, what I did, I purposely went to sleep in the second half. So I actually uh-huh. thought we won. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And that that I wish we all could have uh, fallen asleep in the second half. It, it would have uh, really been more delightful show. But uh, it is what it is. Where are you? Like a hidden compound? You're in a different location this time. Uh, I'm 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 in I'm in the suburbs of Maryland right now. <laughs> oh, okay, excellent. Let's see what our man John Buffon is doing right now. Oh, <laughs> JB. <laughs> they they still got a football team in Chicago. That's good. <laughs> good. <laughs> Gotta check them out. And you've also got uh, some boxing competition going on. I saw this. You posted this. On, uh... Man, that kick and punch! Look at that. Yeah, that's uh, that's me. <laughs> that's in the uh, the uh, the gym that I help coach at. That kid's about 11 years old. About a year ago, couldn't even put the gloves on, and now he's working the mitts. And uh, I'll tell you what, there's there is no greater feeling than seeing a kid who doesn't know what he's doing, and then a couple weeks, couple months, couple years later, 
they have so much more confidence and you see that you you know that you are a part of that uh mm -hmm. that's just a really really rewarding experience and that's why i do it i absolutely love seeing the progression of uh of those young men and, and women uh bring themselves along in the sport of boxing so there's women too there, there are girls oh, yeah. as well yeah 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 uh, I, I, I would say probably about 20 25 percent uh, of the kids that go to the gym are, are female. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's great to see. Uh, it's not just the physical aspect, but you see them gain confidence. You get the, you, it's part of a family atmosphere. You, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's very, very, very re rewarding. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. That's awesome. Tyler, I know you've uh, worn the Mets a few times too. You got any uh, prize fights coming up? I mean, I'm just trying to spy on John. I'm just spying, I'm just spying <laughs> on John. I got like Tony Stark equipment around him, so I can just learn. I'm learning. No, matter of fact, I don't know enough about boxing. Just I just want to be under the radar and just study jobs. <laughs> All right, let's get to the business at hand, which is to debate. Uh, we've got ten rounds and a lot of uh, Bears Packers questions, a lot of questions about the future of this team. Let's get started with round one. There were multiple frustrating plays Sunday night for Bears fans. One that got a lot of attention was in the fourth quarter, with the, bear, with the ball at the Bears' own 36-yard line with less than 14 minutes to go. Nagy's team was trailing 38-27, to and the coach chose to not go for it on fourth down and one. After the game, Nagy said he thought about going for the first down. Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit, but... Again, I, you know, you, you could you could sit there and and uh, and say to go for it, and I don't think you're wrong by saying that at all. I, I but you could also um, punt it and and try to, you know, play that field position and see where you're at. Question for you two: Was Nagy wrong for not going for it? Tyler, start us off. I mean, if he if he if he goes for if he goes for it, he doesn't get it. It's the same thing. I, I, I'm so, first of all, yes, he is wrong because. What do you got to lose? At the end of the day, you, you got coaches being aggressive that are already stumped their playoff ticket. So yes, you should have went for it because it shows your offense you believe in them. With the score that high, how are you having that much faith in the defense that you will stop and play field position? You know, getting blown up by more. And so respectfully, I wish you made a better call. Of course he was wrong. People can play the hindsight game all they want and say, but if the, the play would have resulted in a muff punt if there wasn't a bogus penalty, but you're down 11 in the fourth quarter and you don't trust your team to pick up a few inches. It baffles me that a guy who I'm sure knows his days in Chicago are numbered can be so cowardly. How are you not hyper aggressive and just going for broke every possession and every chance that you have? Even as a lame duck, he won't coach to win. I, I just don't understand it. Yeah. Ayo, so now we, uh, we, we we always go 15 seconds after the question. So we're... <laughs> I'm sorry, Tyler, what was that? Tyler, can you hear but us? You got, got me, yeah, so real yeah. quick. The fact of the matter is when, when when he does that, John, it's like confirmation. It's like, all right, cool. That's why he's getting fired. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks. It, it is affirmation. Like that, okay, this is <laughs> there's a reason why he's not gonna be here next year. Now, it is a really strange situation that you know he 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 was cowardly at that moment and he sounded so sheepish after the game in that press conference. It was 
truly and and then on on monday's press conference he says yeah i probably should have gone for it so um it looks like john you and i are going to be debating because we lost time (laughs) (laughs) but i do think that you know he has regrets about it uh but unfortunately you know, I think this is more evidence of his lack of coaching skills. He's got to smell the moment. He's got to, you know, reach into the soul of this team and say, I know that these guys can do it. Uh, and, and yet uh, he just hasn't done that. It's it's really frustrating, isn't it? Well, we used to blame it on he was too concerned about play calling. He wasn't being a head coach because he had his face buried in the play sheet and he can't he can't understand game situations because he's so zoned in on calling plays. Well, now if he's not calling plays, like allegedly he's not, apparently he doesn't have the game situation bravado either, where that's still that's still an issue for him that he can't understand the game situation, clock management, timeouts, all this other stuff that we thought maybe remedied by not calling plays still is an issue at at times so this is just a further indictment on he's just probably not ready to be a head coach and i you were and we're we're four four seasons into the experiment but when we're talking about that but it's this ain't it yeah and he's probably not ready to be an offensive coordinator to call plays uh i mean the the evidence again is against him so uh tyler what do you think is is matt nagy is going to do post his uh bears career do you think uh, he's going to sell insurance or find a coaching job somewhere or what do you you think it's it's tough It's, it's it's truly tough because you would think after a demotion you go to offensive coordinator you go to quarterback coach but like how do you sell that position like how do you sell that? Like, like, wh- like you're weeping. You so he 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 hung a Mitch Trubisky out to dry, and like and so like teams are looking at well you couldn't even work with Mitch. You couldn't even get well you actually got the best of him in the, the first year, and so but it's like is this gonna be hard to sell? How can a, a head coach because he was brought he was brought in with supposedly because he had a vision. He was brought in to lead. He was brought here to transform. But now we're talking about how many levels you're going down. So it's really hard to say. He's going to have to be – he can't even be a consultant. It's really – I don't – what is he going to be able to say? I mean, we have trouble with timeouts and challenges at this point. So, like, bro, I, mentorship? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're right because whenever you put so much of the responsibility on yourself and you want to be the guy, you came into Chicago because you're a quarterback whisperer. You came to Chicago because you can call plays. You came to Chicago because you can be a head coach and lead people. He's striking out on all three of those. So now what is your selling point? What is your redeeming quality? And I'm not trying to really go in on Matt Nagy, even though that's what we do most of the time, but, uh, but what would it, what will his next job be? And we've talked about this numerous times probably in the college ranks. I think that rah-rah stuff would work in the college ranks, but uh, he's going to have to step away from the NFL unless it's in a, unless it's just an assistant type role or quality control or whatever it is that he's going like, to latch on to. That's fine. A, a offensive assistant or something of that nature, which once again, if we're talking about Matt Nagy and what job he can get post bears and the best we can come up with is maybe an assistant on some offensive staff why the hell is he still your head coach, the Chicago Bears? But that's neither here nor there. Indeed. All right, let's move on to round two. Aaron Rodgers says he owns the Bears, but he might want to add Devontae Adams to the title. Sunday, Adams had 10 catches for 121 yards and two touchdowns. He now has 
over a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns in 16 games versus the Bears. Now, Adams is a free agent this year at the end of this year. If the Bears could pull off some salary cap magic, would you pursue Adams at the expense of having less money to secure quality players in some other areas of need? John? You know, the more I think about it, the more I'm actually against it. Devontae Adams will be 29 years old in two weeks. He could very well play at a superstar level for the next three to four years, but are you willing to risk your salary cap on this? This roster needs a lot of work, and they don't have a ton of draft capital. They are going to have to address some needs at cornerback, safety, center, defensive line, probably some depth at linebacker. I don't know if the Bears are going to be Super Bowl contenders next year, and Adam seems like a guy you sign if you're just trying to get over the top. I mean, it, it, exactly. That's some that, that's a, that's something that the Rams would do, like get mm-hmm. Adams. Like, would it be cool to get that talent? But the funny thing is, we're going to pay Adams to do what Allen Robinson kind of could do. So what that means is you're actually going to have to target your number one wide receiver. Like, why would why would Devontae Adams even want to come here, so to speak? Because he's like, yo, you got to even take an Allen Robinson at the price he's getting right now. And so, like, um, we, got other, we got other things to focus on. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys. Uh, the price tag is going to be too heavy. There's too many needs. You can probably find some gems at the wide receiver position for, for less money. Um I, I I think, you know, he would be a great addition for a quarterback like Justin Fields because he's so twitchy and can get open. Uh, and that is the difference between him and Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson is more of a possession receiver. He doesn't create separation, but he can usually come down with the ball. And it is strange, too, that these guys just don't have any chemistry going on. Tyler, what's going on between Justin Fields and Allen Robinson? They just can't seem to get a chemistry like Fields has with Mooney. I'm, I'm so glad you brought it back to me, Aldo, because I, I, honestly, I just, I, I just truly feel it has to be somewhat by design because you talked about it the other night um, on, on, um, on Bear Football, but the fact of the matter is when, when a guy has 200-plus yards receptions, um, over a case of 24 months, and then all of a sudden he's averaging um, two to three attempts. What's happening? I mean, one, you got you got a rookie trying to learn on the fly. That's one. You got a rookie learning under fire who didn't get active reps with his number one wide receiver during the offseason. Matt and I are so it's leadership. It was the vision. It was the vision and the blueprint for development of Justin Fields. Aldo. Talking about Allen Robinson kind of upsets me about Justin Fields because. The things that we see Justin struggling with was a failure by development during the offseason. And so that's what that's what kind of just like teased, messes me up a little bit because like, yo, why would you not do that? Matt Nagy, you're fighting for your job, bro. Why would you not do all these things possible in case Justin has to play? Are you truly fighting for your job? If you're fighting for your job, that means every single person that steps on the field is going to just do their job at the at the average at the average. So it really sucks because I have a ton of respect for Allen Robinson, yes, on a personal level because of the type of character he is, but like he could truly be a diva. He could be a Terrell Owens. He could be crying at the camera, but he's not. He could literally be like, yo, throw me the ball. He could be doing that and it would be warranted. But fans nowadays, we would just patronize him. But the fact of the matter is he was catching thousand yards in freaking Jacksonville. And he's brought to Chicago, a top tier market, and we can't get this freaking guy a thousand yards every single year. It just don't make sense. 
and we're struggling and we're struggling it doesn't make sense we, we like the offense is going down mr Trubisky, all the stuff he hated he got guess what Allen robinson still had a thousand yards <laughs> Who, who's that thousand yard receiver this year john well, it's just not going to happen because the because of the ineptitude of the offense. And so this is the this is something that I've been going back and forth with for a long time. I don't know. I honestly do not know why Allen Robinson is not more involved in in the offense. I don't know why he's not getting more targets. I don't know why he and Justin Fields aren't getting on the same page. I it's it's easy to say it's because they didn't get any preseason reps together. They didn't get any training camp reps together, but gee whiz guys, we're what in week 15 they're there. I mean there there eventually needs to be a little bit of uh chemistry there if you're practicing with the guy every week. And now I know he's been hurt. I'm sure that he's not thrilled about his contract situation. I I, I don't know. I, I'm not. I, I know it doesn't make for a good show for me to say I don't know, but I don't, I'm not going to just sit here and pretend like I do know why Allen Robinson is not more involved. He should be. This is a guy that has all the talent in the world, and you know it would be just the most bearish thing in the world if they let him walk and then he gets triple digit catches next year in wherever the hell he goes. And so uh, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I cannot figure it out. And then, yeah. and then, and then when, we, when we talk about uh, Devontae Adams, we got to remember, guys. He's probably getting targeted. I'm just going to guess. He's getting targeted at least seven to 11 times a game. Well, sure. Seven mm-hmm. to yeah. 11 times a game. Easily. And, and then, but guess what? Against the Bears, he had like four big plays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You increase yeah. the variables. Yeah. It, it, somebody in the chat, I think it was Larry, says, you know, that they've got this chemistry going on. Uh, yeah, it was Larry Rogers and Adams have been together seven years. They do route adjustments without saying a word. Mooney will be that dude for Justin Fields. Just got to keep them together. What do you think, uh, guys? Do you think that Darnell Mooney could ascend to the level of a, a Devonte Adams? Let's remember that when he was uh, Adams was drafted out of uh, Long Beach. Is it was it Long Beach? Uh, in any case, he had uh, a couple of, you know, so-so years as a rookie and a freshman. Jordy Nelson was the number one guy, and then he slowly started working his way to just being the, the best wide receiver in football. Yeah, that, that 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 can definitely happen. And I'm sure that's what the Bears hope is going to happen because you have a you have a wide receiver in his second year, you have a quarterback in his first year. You're hoping they're attached at the hip for the next 6, 7, 8 years. Uh and and then you kind of supplement throughout the way and then you you restock uh, as through the draft. But uh we we've seen I don't know. I'm not I mean, I hope it is, but I but without Knowing what's going to be around Darnell Mooney next year, the wide receiving core could be in a little bit of trouble next year because I, I, there's not going to be Demir Bird and Marquise Goodwin and who knows about Jakeem Grant or anything like that. Uh, if it's just Mooney and no one else, that's going to be tough sledding for the entire year for Darnell Mooney. Mm, indeed. All right, guys, let's move on to round three. Mike Sando at The Athletic writes that Aaron Rodgers gets a lot of credit for the Packers' record versus the Bears when he plays. They've won over 80% of those contests. But he adds that there's another narrative people overlook, and that is the Packers' defense. Chicago has averaged just 15.4 offensive points per game in 28 matchups against the Rodgers-led Packers. That is almost five points a game less than the Bears have averaged the most against the rest of the NFL. 
20 teams have faced the Packers, led by Rodgers, at least four times since 2008. None has scored fewer offensive points per game than the Chicago Bears have scored in their matchups. Is it really the Packers' defense that has a claim for majority ownership over the Bears? What do you say, Tyler? We start with you. I mean, um, first of all, the Packers did – I hate talking good about them. You kind of tricked me into that. I got to – but they, they, the freaking that, – that, that freaking team actually did some good adjustments. They have some guys out, but they've made some adjustments, and they've added some key guys, some, some cool role players. So the answer to your question is yes, the Packers' defense does play very hungry. They, like, really fly to the ball. And so ownership over the Bears, yes, but at the same time, you got to give it to the Bears for lack of an imagination and system. We had it in the first half and then lost it. I mean, it's a nice stat, and it kind of proves that Green Bay owns Chicago, not just Aaron Rodgers, just like Green Bay owned Chicago during the Favre years. I don't think you have three decades' worth of dominance if it isn't a combination of Green Bay's offense scoring a bunch of points and Chicago's offense not being able to score a bunch of points. So that's why this whole thing is stupid. Does the obvious advantage at quarterback play a huge role? Absolutely. But let's not act like Green Bay's rosters weren't constructed better than Chicago's most of the time they go head-to-head. I agree uh, with you, gentlemen. I think that this uh, Packers defense is good, but they're not—they're not great. It's the Bears' offense that has, you know, stumbled and bumbled in so many of the games against the Packers. Uh, I remember once it was—I uh, think it was Jerry Angelo uh, was being interviewed, and he was—he was asked about the lack of offense that the Bears had. This has been a, a problem for decades with the Chicago Bears, yeah. and and his response is. We weren't built to score a lot of points. Uh, what? <laughs> what? You weren't built to score a lot of points? I mean, who builds a team not to score a lot of points? Well, yeah. apparently the Chicago Bears do year after year after year. Who brags about that? You know what? Yeah. We didn't build this he team he to score points. To guys. He, was <laughs> to keep, he was supposed to keep that to himself. Yeah. <laughs> Don't share with anybody ever again. Um, all right, let's move on to round uh, four. In order for the Packers to get Devontae Adams going, they began utilizing him more in the slot as the game wore on. This was an effort to try and steer him away from the Bears' best cornerback, Jalen Johnson, and make Johnson play a position he normally doesn't. A second-year cornerback was asked if he wanted to follow Adams everywhere on every snap. He offered this candid assessment of himself. Again, I got to learn more. I got to become more versatile to be able to play that slot position. Because, um, I mean, it's bigger than just man-to-man coverage. You got to be able to have run fits. You got to be able to play zone and have different zone drops and things like that. So, I mean, that's definitely something that I need to improve on um, as a defender. If I want to be that top guy and be able to follow guys and play the inside at a high level, that's what I got to learn um, and get more reps at it. That's what I plan on doing moving forward. Having seen Jalen Johnson's play and heard his self-scouting, and are you comfortable that he can learn to become a better slot corner and bigger picture that he can become a true number one cornerback in the National Football League? John, it's all yours. 
Yeah, if for no other reason than he's willing to admit and understand that he currently has shortcomings in his game. It takes a very self-aware and humble individual to do that. We've seen Jalen Johnson prove he has all the ability in the world to be a very good cornerback in the NFL. Let's also not forget that he's still only in his second year, and he was vaulted into that number one role maybe a little sooner than he and maybe the Bears expected, but he has risen to the occasion He's going to have to be an anchor for this Bears defense for the for the, for the long term, really. You you, you really got to appreciate the, the the type of ownership that he took. Like he's still under three years in the league. Like he was like he's he did very. I think he did very well. He did he did well. Like considering it took it took a while for Adams to actually get acclimated and everything. And he tore up the slot not just on Jalen. That was on some other guys too. And so, but I like the fact that Jalen just said, yo, I got to get better. I got to know more. That stuff just reminds me of Deion Sanders, somebody who just wanted to know more and more and more about the position. And you, when you master your craft and you can do all those, like that, that X factor things. And so the fact that he's already thinking that, like it's things like that, that are, those are the things you take away from a loss. When you go, Devontae Adams is like the top wide receiver in fantasy football the past three years. Like he's not a slouch. And so for Jalen to get that experience, it can only make him better when he's playing somebody else. Yeah, I think Larry Pound uh, hits it on the nail here. He says we should have a nickel that can play. And I think what this does is further illustrates, you know, the uh, ineffectiveness of Ryan Pace. You've got a league that is trending towards passing 99% of the time. And yet you don't build any depth at the cornerback defensive backfield. I mean, this is one of, another one of the reasons why Ryan Pace has to go, in my opinion, because he doesn't value what defensive backs can do. So you got a guy like uh, Crawford uh, guarding at the slot position because of Duke Shelley's injury. And then Marquis Christensen played it in the first game and it, they found out, yeah, this guy can't play the slot position. So you don't have you Shelley, first of all, was questionable to play the slot. And then you didn't have any backups that could play the slot. Isn't that a condemnation, uh, John, of Ryan Pace and how he built a team? Well, yeah, because all you have to do is look back at the end of training camp whenever what they only carried, what, four corners with them, and they're like, oh, we're going to put this guy on the practice squad, but we like him better for this one. And and whenever you get, whenever you see Xavier uh, with Crawford get hurt, and you're like, oh, no, that's a big injury. Is it? <laughs> yeah, it, like I feel bad that he got hurt, but whenever, whenever you're at the point of a fan where you're like, oh, man, are we going to be okay without – him like that 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 shows you the absolute lack of depth uh that you have at that position and it, 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 it showed on the goal line when the Packers went in for fourth down absolutely toasted absolutely just juked out of his jock it was a uh, game over they as soon as you uh, whenever they were going for it on fourth down I'm like oh no uh there is I didn't have a lot of confidence that they were going to be able to hold on fourth down and they didn't and that and that was a, that was a big play yeah uh, Tyler, do you feel the same way that this is a another uh, uh, piece of evidence that Ryan Pace has failed in building the team? I mean, it's um, damn, I can't defend it because <laughs> <laughs> you want to, huh? Because and the thing about it is, Aaron Rodgers, I've studied this, legit studied this. He's always attacked our nickel. That's how he's been able to get us over the years, over the decades. If you're over the decade, I swear to God, because even with Tillman and everybody else, he attacked our nickel. 
And like Buster Screen was supposed to be our fix to this position um, a couple years ago. And um, it's still, and so it, it kind of is. I mean, he's the GM. But it's, it's, the GM gets the talent, then the talent has to be developed. And so it, it's one or the other when you're out there on that island. Um, and when you got guys, and that's a key position because that means guys like Cooper Cup will always go off on us. That slot position is how Odell Beckham got his got his shine. He he started off in a slot, and so those DBs will be increasing in value. But yes, to answer your question, it is a slight around pace that somebody could bring up because it's like, bro, we're losing the game off off that off clearly off that for years now. And, and not to, not to defend the coaching staff, but uh, and I understand. But the if the GM is the one who gets the talent to the coaching staff, and the coaching staff is supposed to develop it, you can't give somebody a potato and ask them to make you a pizza. It's just like you, you have to at least give them a good starting point to say this person has potential. Now you develop them. I don't know if the people that Ryan Pace was bringing in for the coaching staff to develop really had that much potential. It's just, it, it was, uh, it, it seemed like this was going to be a problem from the very start of the season. And it has been. Yeah. It, and, you know, at, on the uh, uh, Sunday night broadcast, they talked about, you know, how more players, more of the big time receivers are being moved into the slot. Well, that's been happening for years. I mean, you remember Brandon Marshall with the bears that they would put him in the slot uh, uh, for 10, 15, 20 plays a game. This has been a trend that's been happening more and more. Get your big-time receiver in the slot so you can create matchups against these smaller cornerbacks. I'm not sure why Ryan Pace hasn't recognized that and really built up a stable of quality defensive backs. He comes into the season with Desmond Trufant and a Detroit Lions cast-off who uh, suffered injury after injury. And 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 not much else. So it's to me, this is this is just so aggravating that Ryan Pace just doesn't get it. He doesn't read what is going on in the league. He's always a step behind, and that's why the 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 Bears' uh, immediate future looks pretty dismal right now. Thank you, Ryan Pace. <laughs> All right, let's move on to round five. Robert Quinn is now just four sacks shy of the Bears' single-season sack record, which Richard Dent holds at 17-and-a-half. He's done this without Khalil Mack for the past five games. Quinn attributes his success to being in a better place mentally and spiritually. Is there any other player on this Bears team who has disappointed you like Quinn did in his first year, but you think that maybe next year he can have that comeback, bounce back year like Robert Quinn. Tyler, we start with you. Um, this, I'm, I'm glad I got that first because John, I feel like John was still my answer. <laughs> but um, what I'm feeling, I feel like this is going to be Tevin Jenkins. I feel like this is going to be Tevin Jenkins for the Bears, a guy that was hurt the first year and that was hurt the first year, and then he showed up. Robert Quinn, and, and it's so funny, Aldo, just to go back real quick, her before John comes, Ryan Quinn was hurt, but he also led Dallas in sacks the previous year, which so we got to give Ryan Pace credit. But for the sake of the answer, to um Jenkins next year. 
I was gonna say Allen Robinson, but if I but I can't because I don't think he's actually gonna be on the roster next year. So I don't think he can be a bounce back player for the Bears if he doesn't play for the Chicago Bears. Look, I'm gonna say Eddie Jackson, and I'm not saying that with a ton of confidence, but maybe with a new coach and a new culture and hopefully a new mindset, Eddie Jackson can be that guy we saw a few years ago flying around making big plays and making small plays because they're important too. He's 28. He should be fully in his prime right now. I hope he can bounce back. Great answers. Uh, Ronnie says, Eddie Goldman. What do you think about potentially Eddie Goldman having a bounce back year? Because this year he hasn't made much noise. Now, he usually works very quietly and has good games, but there does seem to be something missing about Goldman. The slow start, didn't play last year. He definitely would be a good bounce back candidate, wouldn't you guys say? Everybody's capable of bouncing back, but Robert Quinn was physically held behind. Like he, he, like he was the NFC East. Like they get a lot of, I don't know why, but they always, the Cowboys always go to the Super Bowl every year. They're pretty good Super Bowl. But, so, but Robert Quinn leading that team in sacks gave him a lot of pop popularity that free agency. So Robert Quinn, this is what we were expecting last year. This is what we were expecting if that. And so these other guys that we're talking about, Goldman's been here. These guys have been here. But we're talking about Robert Quinn actually being normal. This is what so we kind of got to get stop pause for a second and say Brian Pace, hey yo, bro, kind of you kind of did, did a good job because all this dead money we, we got going out. Hey yo, he got something right. I mean, my man just won Defensive Player of the Month and all of that stuff. And so the season season record that's a that's a very big deal. Without a healthy Khalil Mack, we were trying to get somebody in here to help Khalil Mack forever. So it's really cool how that works out. I would say he can be a bounce back player, but I also can say I can also understand or I could possibly see a new regime coming in, a GM, a new coach and saying we can save a lot of money if we cut Eddie Goldman. <laughs> and so hey, I know that he has he has some dead cap against him, but they're going to save I, I, upwards of five, six million dollars with uh, with by, by cutting Eddie Goldman. Now, I'm not advocating for that by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just saying. As much as he could be a bounce-back player, he might be able to be a bounce-back player for somebody else if the Bears decide they need to just do a complete salary dump next year and start from scratch. That's one of the scary things about the Bears' immediate future is like you, you look at the list of players who are still under contract next season. I think it's like 30 guys are under contract for next season. And you look at that list and you say – yeah, I'd like to get rid of about uh, 30 of these guys <laughs> or 20 of these guys. Um, I mean, if, you, if you're going to bring in somebody to blow up the whole thing, you know, you're going to go with Roquan Smith, Justin Fields, uh, David Montgomery, Khalil Herbert, a couple of other guys. And then after that, you're looking to replace defensive backs. Jalen Johnson should be on that list of keepers. But uh, after that, man, you, you really need to bring in a whole stable of players and uh, – because of Ryan Pace's mismanagement, we don't have the draft assets. The salary cap is is not good. This is a mess. This is a mess. <laughs> well, I remember last. I mean, going into the season, everything the uh, the only thing that people were talking about when it came to the salary cap was, well, they can cut Robert Quinn post June and save a bunch of money. I don't know if they want to do that now because he could break the Bears' all-time sack record. So now where now where are you going to save that money from now? Because every people people were talking about potentially cutting Quinn for the money. I don't know if you're going to cut Robert Quinn next year because it seems like he's having a pretty damn good year. So uh, there's going to be a lot of interesting moves made. Now, is his trade value pretty high? Is it higher than it ever will be? If you trade Robert Quinn now, is his trade value ever going to be higher? 
I don't know. Uh, but there, uh, that's why I'm not predicting any of these things to happen. But this offseason is going to be very turbulent for the Chicago Bears because you're going to see a new GM, you're going to see a new head coach, and you might see a completely new direction. And you might see some familiar faces that you are, you've are you become accustomed to seeing in the Chicago Bears uniform no longer be there. Mm. Let me throw out one more name of uh, players that could potentially have a bounce back season. What about the interior of the Bears' offensive line? Uh, Cody Whitehair and James Daniels in particular, the two guards, they've disappointed me a little bit this season. I expected them to play at a higher level given you know, the fact that each of them, Cody Whitehair now is in his fifth or sixth season and Daniels in his third season. Do you guys feel a certain level of disappointment with the two guards on this team? Tyler, you first. It, they're not the reason we're losing games. <laughs> and so, like, it, they're not the reason. Um, the, that it's, it's just hard to say, Aldo. It's just hard to say. Um, I, we expected a lot from James Daniel when he first got here, even at this, even from the center position and um, just from his physical features. And so um, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to pinpoint it, man, because it's like, yo, we're not losing games. We, we've had enough time. We, we got, we, we've had enough time. Like the Tom Brady, all these other guys, these every single team that's making the playoffs right now, their offensive lines are not playing perfect. They're not playing perfect, but guys are open. You see what I'm saying? So it it really comes back. Like I, I can talk about the offensive line, I can talk, but they're not the reason why we're losing all these games. Why right? we lost like six games in a row, whatever it is, besides the Lions game. And so, um, John, what you got? Because at the end of the day, I just still feel like man, this is still falling on the coaches for me. Yeah, and this is why I've been an advocate to move on to an interim coach right now because you could start get because you don't know if James Daniels is going to be on this team next year. His contract's up, so you don't know if he you don't know if he's coming back. Which is why I would say bring in, go ahead and get an interim coach and say, hey, play James Daniels at center. See if he's going to be our center of the future. See if see if this guy can do what we brought him in to do. They brought him in to be a center and see if this guy. After a couple years in the league, and say, says I feel more comfortable at center. Then you don't have to go and spend a lot of money on a replacement in the offseason if you think James Daniels can be your center of the future. Uh, but that's but that's what once again that's the conflict of interest we have going on with the Chicago Bears right now with Matt Nagy in there. He's coaching for his job. He's coaching for his professional life, and he wants to win as many games as possible, which is why Jimmy Graham's getting more uh, snaps than uh, Jesse James and Jesper Horst said. It's why uh, Jason Peters was going to play for the rest of the year if he was healthy. That's Instead of getting a look at some of the guys that could be part of your future, Matt Nagy's not interested in that because he's not part of the Bears' future. Yep. And James Daniels' contract is up at the end of the season, so they should make a decision. My, me personally, I, I would love to see him at center, but starting next year, I don't want to disrupt too much of what's going on at the offensive line, not with a rookie quarterback there. It, it just might, you know, add one more thing for him to think about, you know, with a, a new center and, and stuff like that. Let's try to keep it as, as simple as possible for, for Fields. All right, let's move on to round six. Jakeem Grant had a great game against the Green Bay Packers Sunday night. He's been one of the surprises of the season, but he is a free agent at the end of the year. The Bears have a potential out on Tariq Cohen's contract at the end of the season that could see them saving about $2 million, which is uh, coincidentally what Grant is making this year. Now, should the Bears cut ways with Cohen and try and replace him 
with Jakeem Grant? Or would you like to see Cohen and Grant together next season? John, it's all yours. Well, this is tough because they're essentially the same player. They're both speed-based, cut-on-a-dime kind of guys that can take the ball to the house at any time. Uh, but they can both run routes out of the backfield. They can both catch. They can both return kicks. And once again, they're both five foot six. But now, Tariq Cohen's a little bulkier, and he is three years younger. But this knee injury that he sustained apparently is a lot more serious than we originally thought. So we don't know how that's going to affect him going forward. So I'd like to see them both in camp to start the year and just see a straight up competition. I think that would be a really exciting camp battle. I mean, Grant, Grant has been going max effort since he got here. He's been taking out the end zone. And so it'll be dope to see those, to have those X factors on the, on the field. It all depends on who we have coming in here, being the head coach. Are they, are they truly trying to come in here and clean house? Or are they going to try to do something special? Because that's a guy who would be special on the Patriots and the playoff team. They would love to have a Grant right there. A guy that can score from anywhere in the field. But him and Cohen together would be, I would I would think it would be very dangerous. Any playoff team would be happy to have them both. Yeah, you want as many offensive weapons as possible. Uh, I would say at this point, though, given the salary cap uh, issues, you might want to just target on who who could save you more money. I hate, I hate to put it that way because I would love to see, you know, those two guys on the field together. Uh, but there still also is that big question is, you know, why is it taking so long for Tariq Cohen to get back on the field? John, does that worry you at all? Yes, absolutely. You're talking about a, a, a small compact guy whose entire game is based around speed and cutting and cutting sharply. And you hope that everything's okay. And you hope that it's just taking longer to heal and he's going to be back to 100%. But I'm not going to sit here and say absolutely cut Grant and then bring Cohen back when we haven't seen Tariq Cohen in a uniform in a year. So I, I think that you, if you have a new head coach and you have a new GM, they're going to be thinking the same thing. They don't know. They don't know much about this guy. And but I don't think you can go into a. I don't think you can go into a season with them both on the roster because that's taking up two spots of two guys doing basically the same thing. Uh, and you already have Khalil Herbert and David Montgomery in the in the backfield. Do you are you going to bring Tariq Cohen in to run be, behind the tackles, or do you want to use up another wide receiver spot with Jakeem Grant? Those are decisions that the that the new GM and the new head coach are going to have to make. But I don't know how you can go into the season with both of them given their skill sets are so similar. Yeah, uh, Tyler, you got con concerns about the slow rehabilitation for Tyler. I mean, for Tariq Cohen. I, I remember when he came out of college, I posted on Twitter a picture uh, of uh, Tariq Cohen and uh, Darren Sproles side by side, and the muscle mass on uh, um, on uh, Darren Sproles was twice the amount, three times the amount of Tariq Cohen, who's you know, short, but also doesn't have that muscle mass. And so I was always worried, you know, is he going to be able to take the NFL punishment? You know, we saw him running out of bounds a lot. A couple of people have mentioned that in the chat. Do you have concerns about uh, Tariq Cohen potentially not being able to sustain the NFL punishment? I mean, so when first things first, when you when your nickname is the human joystick, that you get you earn that name because that means you can go in any direction at any moment in time. When Adrian Peterson had his ACL injury, Adrian Peterson ran straight, very hard, maybe one cut. So he was able to come back in nine months. Tariq Cohen, it may be confidence, it could be doctors, because he's trying to practice. He's used to doing more. He's not a just a down south, north side runner. 
know what I'm saying? He wants to go everywhere. And so it, it goes back to that. He's preparing to be a glitch player, so to speak, because he does the most ridiculous moves. With Tariq is at his best, he needs a 100% ACL injury, but all the, also the surrounding tissue around it to support those lateral movements. Because especially when you're doing those quick compounding steps, that's how you tear. That's how you break down soft tissue um, in, in the first place. And so it is a concern, but we got to remember different people, different situations. Adrian Peterson, probably 80, 100 pounds more muscle on him. <laughs> so yeah. all, all, all these things. He re- and he also recovered in less than a year. He was a physical freak the way that he came back from that yeah. ACL injury. And every, I mean, we sometimes, you know, athletes get talked about like they're, like they're cars, like they're just replace it. Okay. It's going to be two weeks and he's ready to go with there. Right. It's human tissue, human bone, human ligaments, and they all rejuvenate at different paces, depending on who you are. So it's not, if, whenever people say two to four weeks, they're like, okay, two, two weeks, you said two weeks. Why isn't it fixed? Well, because it's a, it's a human body. It's not, it's not, it's not just, you're not, you know, changing parts out. So, um, it's, it is concerning that it's taking this long, and given his stature, uh, it, it, it is concerning. I'm, I, to be honest, I'm glad he got paid before he got hurt. I'm glad that he got that contract before he got hurt because he was able to secure himself financially uh, because this is a violent game, and the average career is only about three years. I'm glad that he got his money before he got hurt, uh, and I think that he still has years ahead of him. I think he's only 25 or 26 years old, so he can still have a pretty good career moving forward. Um, I just don't know if he's going to be part of the Bears. Yep. I'd love to see him uh, back this season, but Matt Nagy was, didn't sound too confident when he was asked that uh, last week. All right, we move on. I believe we're in round seven. Let's take a look. Tevin Jenkins had a rough debut at left tackle. He was flagged four times, and he allowed the strip sack on Justin Fields that many think was a big momentum changer in the game. Nagy said that if Jason Peters is out next week, that he might consider moving Larry Borum to left tackle. That's Larry Borum, the rookie right tackle, move him to left tackle. Do you think that Borum should have been Sunday night's left tackle after Peters left due to an ankle injury and with the Bears guilty of rushing Jenkins too quickly? Tyler, you're up. It's a slippery slope. I mean, it really is. If he comes in and plays great, you don't know. You don't know until you know. Um, Larry Brom, I believe he actually was a left tackle before, and so he, he actually has experience, if I'm not mistaken. But um, if you don't play Tevin there, then you don't know what he couldn't do. And so it was just cool for the rookie to get some action, period. I mean, you need those learning lumps. But um, going forward, it's just, it's just, it's, 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 it really says a lot if they're not trying to get you reps at this point. Well, much like everything else with the Chicago Bears franchise, this situation has been mismanaged and they're going to be forced to make a decision that they're not ready to make. Look, I don't know how truly comfortable Jenkins is at left tackle. I don't know how truly comfortable Larry Borum is at left tackle. Maybe Borum will ultimately be better at left tackle. But if you're a competent coaching staff, you should already have the vision of who you want playing where. If you moved up to draft Jenkins, you might think that he's going to get the first crack at being the starting left tackle of the future. But like I said, you need a competent coaching staff who maybe already played some of these scenarios out in their heads rather than just saying, I don't know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was listening to some of the broadcasters in Chicago radio and they said, you know, when the Bears came out with their first offensive uh, series and they had a, a, an empty backfield, that they were concerned that the Bears were going to revert to the type of scheme that they had against uh, the Cleveland Browns. And 
They did to a certain degree, which is good because you want to see the quarterback progress. You want to see a, a progression on the offensive by the offensive line. But at when they replaced uh, Peters with Jenkins, then they had to go back to the game plan that they had when the offensive line was poor. They had to help Tevin Jenkins out much, much more, and they didn't. And so that resulted in that strip sack that resulted in multiple penalties that just resulted in a, uh, a debut that was less than what we wanted. But exactly what we expected. Like you guys said, you know, the guy hadn't played in training camp and so forth. So it was, it was sad that he was kind of thrust into that position, but he does look like he can play in this league. And so as he gets healthier and he gets more experience, hopefully we'll see some better results. You, uh, you, you feel the same way, right, Tyler? I, I do. I do. Because the fact of the matter is um, you're going to learn by experience. You're going to learn with, with experience, but the fact that, these guys are in midseason form. Everybody he's going against is midseason. He hasn't touched the body since college. He hasn't touched the body since the senior bowl, so to speak. And so, like, um, this, this, this hindsight's 2020. It was just, um, it, he'll be all right. He was too much of a mauler. He has a lot of muscle mass to make up for just in the back muscles, period. When you don't have that constant contraction, it's, it's hard to get these horses, to tame these horses. And he wasn't even expecting to go in. I bet you he didn't do 20 push-ups that week, respectfully. And so <laughs> I just don't think he was ready. But guess what? That's why you got to stay ready. And so, but um, it, it, it's a slippery slope, Aldo. But I feel like, once again, he is. A, that's why I feel like he, he'll be a great bounce-back player for next year. Yeah, I just I just get irritated when I hear everything's on the table. That's just I think that's just coach speak for saying we don't know. <laughs> I, honestly, every every time every time I hear I, every you know what that's on the table. Oh, you know what everything's on the table. That literally means we have no freaking clue. We're, we're gonna we're gonna make it up as we go. That that's all. Whenever I hear that phrase, because I've heard it a lot from either Ryan Pace or from Nat, Matt Nagy, it's basically saying we have no idea. If this doesn't work, I guess we'll try something else. That's 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 all I hear when I whenever I hear that phrase is just saying we don't know. It's it's sad but true. <laughs> <laughs> All right, round eight, here we come. On Sunday, Brashard Perriman had a 58-yard walk-off touchdown for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Perriman was a member of the Bears this season, but was never on the active roster for a game. Former number one draft pick has been seeing a lot of playing time for the Bucks the last two weeks. Did the Bears blow it on Perriman by not getting him in some games? Or are you okay that he was simply an insurance policy and the success he's having now is due to Tom Brady and he would likely not have had that success with the Bears? John, it's all yours. The Bears can't even get production out of Allen Robinson. What were they really going to get out of Brashad Perryman? They didn't blow it in the sense that they missed out on a hidden gem. Perryman's been a journeyman since uh, he was a first-round pick back in 2015. And Tom Brady always enhances the profile of his receivers. And the Bears always seem to find a way to decrease the value of their receivers. So if I'm Perryman, I'm probably thanking the Chicago Bears. That catch in overtime alone probably just secured him another contract next year probably wouldn't have been doing that in chicago this is another just a, just added just piling on it's, it's overkill the evidence of negligence at execution is just overkill at this point um Perriman, just like any receiver like he was hungry and the fact of the matter is a coaching staff took advantage of what he could bring to the table 
We make the simple things harder. He ran his route, he caught the ball, and he ran. And the quarterback was able to deliver the ball in a timely fashion at the open spot. We, we make first downs. We make all these things so difficult here in Chicago. And it's just because of the leadership. It's because of the system. And so Paramount, just, just go around the league. It's, it's, it's at this point, guys, where we can't even be mad anymore. You just hope ownership sees it because when Paramount scored that, I was like, mm, Chicago Bears, we didn't even do anything. But, like, that should be a McCaskey moment. Like, damn, why, why, like, why, like, why? And so it just goes back to it's not about the status or the amount of money. It's about sometimes it's the blueprint of the plays and the creation of who are you trusting to put a good product on the field. The object is the score, not get dressed and take pictures. <laughs> I sometimes question the intelligence of Detroit Lions fan Don Burr, but I don't question this at all. He says when players go to places like Tampa or New or New England, they always step up. It's the culture. I couldn't agree with you more, Don. This is more about Perriman would have performed just like Goodwin and, and uh, Bird have this season blah and uh and that's because the bears culture doesn't help wide receivers excel i mean you got mike furry we've all been down on mike furry for some time how has he survived all of the coaching changes at Hallisaw? i mean it's it's unbelievable but back to perriman yeah i th i don't think that he's going to be a star in the nfl at any time even playing with tom brady but he, he is a guy that can help but he can help really uh, good teams not not it, the best but the thing also gentlemen is not also that's why the temp that's why Tampa Bay is a Super Bowl champion team. Not everybody has to be a number one, not everybody has to be a first round draft pick. The goal of a GM is to find the talent that can come together to be that cohesive unit. Tampa Bay, their culture is people coming in and adopting something. Same thing the Patriots did. The Tom Brady's entire run with the Patriots, it was different wide receivers every single year. Nobody made over eleven million dollars. No wide receiver on the Patriots made over $11 million a year, and Tom Brady got six Super Bowls out of that. Gentlemen, like, we don't we don't run those kind of plays. That Paramount play, that was a dope play. We don't run those plays. We don't put our, our wide receivers in those kind of positions. And so Paramount, I think, good for you, bro, for doing what you were trained to do, which is play wide receiver. I'm glad you went someplace where they allow you to do that. All right. Paid. I mean, yeah. no, he won't get he won't get like big time money, but he's going to once again, if you're a guy, if you can make a career, he's been in the league since what, 2015. So this yeah. would be his sixth year or so you get you carve out an eight year career in the NFL. You did something right. You did something most people can't do. So uh, he, he he's going to carve out a little bit of a name for himself. And if you can if you can build up a rapport with Tom Brady. They'll want you back. I mean, look look at some of the receivers he he brought out of the doldrums. I mean, Danny Amendola, Wes Welker, Troy Brown uh, brought resurrected Randy Moss's career. I mean, so you, you look at you just look at the resume. People like to play with Tom Brady for a reason. Yeah, that's right. I agree with Gary in the chat who says uh, that he sees receivers uh, coming open every week other from other teams, and and it's right. The Bears have trouble scheming wide receivers open. It's very frustrating. All right, we move on to round nine. Justin Fields is still very much a work in progress. Of the noticeable mistakes he's made, which concerns you the most? Is it his high turnover rate, 
his loopy delivery, holding on to the ball too long, or is there something else that concerns you even more than those three that I laid out for you? Tyler, start us off. Um, I mean, it's it's it, it's really it's really going to be the first the first th man. Auto, is it? it are, are you? I hope you guys aren't mad at me that I'm still stuck on the last question. <laughs> because I really want to take this time to pound the table for Josh McDaniels, <laughs> but I, I, I really, I, I really want to, I really want to answer this question, bro. But it was like, damn, the guy in the chat was right. You look at other teams around the league, and we are the only team that can't get this kind of space, John. <laughs> Well, then I'll answer the question. For me, it's holding on to the ball too long. I think most of those other things can be fixed and come along with being a rookie quarterback. And holding on to the ball too long is also falling into that category. But it worries me the most because he's because of the hits he's taking, not because of the sacks or the turnovers. It's his first year, and he's already playing with cracked ribs. And the fact of the matter is you don't want your quarterback constantly getting beat up, having to play through injuries, miss practices, maybe miss two or three games per year. You want Justin Fields to be the model of consistency and not constantly battling through some sort of ailment. But then but then it's going to come back to like guys who who is who is he learning from? Who who yeah. who is who who is he learning from? I mean not, not, nothing not, no, no shade against Andy, but it's how to handle these slumps. How do you handle these slumps? How is he going to use these slumps? to become the quarterback that takes the Bears because we all see the Bears trending up. I see – we. I'm down now, but with Justin Fields as our quarterback, I got to have faith. We've been praying for a quarterback forever. We got a quarterback, ladies and gentlemen. So Justin Fields will be taking us to the playoffs within the next three, four years. How? I don't know. But the fact of the matter is who is he learning under? Who? How is he being developed? Because every single, single thing you're saying, what's, be, what's being pointed out in the film session, the games are won before Sunday. And we should see at least the minimum of progression of your bro hit the open receiver. Yeah, I, you know, and I, I think the Bears have a really good quarterback coach in John DeFilippo. That's who's teaching Justin Fields. And it's going to take a while for some of these mechanical things uh, to work out. Aaron Rodgers came into the NFL, and he had a completely different throwing motion than the one he has with the Green Bay Packers. And how did he get that he uh, new throwing motion? He sat those first two and a half years, three seasons, and, uh, and de developed that new throwing motion that's done him great in uh with with the Packers and so you know it, this is going to take a while for Justin Fields to clear up whatever and, and the defects are Aldo and that's a very great point bro because first of all I got I seen the graphics Aaron Rodgers original throwing motion was exactly like Tim Tebow's they had the exact same throwing motion Tim Tebow but Aaron Rodgers got to watch Brett Favre throw 60 interceptions so he said, hmm, let me let me adjust that. Let me adjust that. He got to watch for three years. Once upon a time in the NFL before Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan were first round quarterbacks got to sit for at least a year or two and actually watch a competing veteran. All right. We move on to our final round and it is round 10. The Bears upcoming game is on national TV again. They are one and three in their previous nationally televised games this season. The sole win was, of course, against the lowly Lions. When the 2022 schedule comes out next spring, will you be okay if the Bears are not on prime time or on Thanksgiving Day? And if so, tell me why. <laughs> 
<laughs> John, start us off. I'd be thrilled. Nothing about the Bears playing on primetime gets me excited. For starters, I live on the East Coast and the games aren't done until after 11 p.m. And secondly, I don't have to get texts and DMs from people watching the game making fun of the Chicago Bears. Because if the Bears were just on a regular noon game, those people wouldn't be spending three hours watching the circus that I have to watch every week. So the only reason they're getting this amount of primetime coverage is because of the Chicago market. If this team was located in Jacksonville, they'd get their one Thursday night game against the the Texans per year, and that would be it. The fact of the matter is, yes, I won't be upset at all. I won't. I would not be upset at all if they're not picked because, first of all, champions are made when nobody's looking. And um, even a couple years ago, when we did get like six national televised games, it's because they actually thought it's about time the Bears are good again. And so you would think every five years a team would be ready. And so, but we're just not ready. They, the NFL gives us chances, but um, we just don't perform on those stages. So if that doesn't happen next year. Hopefully that's a statement to the front office. Yeah, I got to tell you, man, this is one of the more frustrating things about being a Chicago Bears fan. It seems like every time the national spotlight is on them, they just tank. They just look awful. They embarrass the city. They embarrass the organization. So I'm kind of with you. I've always, starting as when I was a kid, when the Bears were on national TV, I would get so excited. Oh, man, they're going to be on Monday Night Football. Oh, man, they're going to be on the late game on CBS. You know, it's super exciting. And now it's like, oh boy, here we go again. You dread it. I actually dread it. I don't. I hate seeing it because it's all for the for the last whatever years, well, maybe two, maybe twenty eighteen uh, apart. You just look at it and be like, oh my god, they're gonna get embarrassed, and we're gonna get just the national pundits are gonna make fun of them, or Chris Collinsworth is gonna do this, or Troy Aikman's gonna pick apart this, and it's just everyone gets to see it. You know, Bears fans were accustomed to it. We know what we're going to see. Other fans who have no choice but to watch it because it's the only game on, they get to really witness it for the first time sometimes, and they say, what the hell is this? And it's that point right there where those people start giving the Bears fans empathy. Like, damn, I'm sorry, guys, because <laughs> that does suck. But I see, but but they give us respect for being passionate, though, because it's actually with with today's TV, Twitter, NFL, like the Bears. Remember, they're making money. If they're getting no pressure, the only way to apply pressure is through social media and higher rankings. People talking bad about it. If we're trending on Bleacher Report about Farrah Nagy, guess what? That's the only freaking thing that's going to change something because if they're making money and they're not getting no pressure, then that's so be it. I was actually happy that they, that people get to say, I'm like, yo, so if I'm frustrated, you know why. I'm a Bears fan because I love this city, but like, you know, you know we need change. I, if we get a brand new coach, I'm excited when we, like, cool, I want to see, even if we lose, I want to see what we're coming up against. But now it's like, yo, it's a joke. We shouldn't, like, please, though, I hope we're not on hard knocks next year. <laughs> they're, they're on Monday night football, and they're ranked 15th in the NFC. They're only higher than the Lions. When it, They're no more in the hunt graphics, no more of that crap. They are they are outside of the Lions. They are they are second to last in the NFC. So <laughs> this, is, this is where they're almost bottoming out to a team that completely punted on 2021. They gave up their quarterback so they could get draft picks. They they went into the season knowing they were going to lose a bunch of games, whereas the Bears tried to sell us a bill of goods saying they were going to be a competitive franchise in 2021. And now they're barely ahead of a team. that They barely beat a team, by the way, on Thanksgiving that is at the absolute bottom of the barrel. And did you know, 
here, here's a fun fact for everybody. Since 2010, the Bears are only averaging one more win than the Vikings, or excuse me, the Lions. If you look at from if you only if you only look at from from the from 2010, if you oh, look no. at all of the wins throughout from 2010 to now, the Bears are really only averaging one more win per year than the Lions, and that's including a Bears 12 and 12 and four season. So there you go. That's it. What, like, what else? Do you, I mean, what else do you need to know about the culture that apparently Ted Phillips likes to brag about to other teams? The culture mm-hmm. that, that that you bring to Chicago is is a absolute failure of a culture. But that's open the one showcase. that you're gonna you keep keep selling it. Keep selling it. Keep making money. Open open the showcase and all this exposure. There should be some other coaches out there. Be like, hmm, I could do I could do better than that. If they paying Nagy for that, let me try. oh man you guys brought it uh excellent show before i get you guys out of here give me a prediction on this uh vikings bears game for next monday night uh tyler i'll start with you you think the bears are going to come back with uh well they'll be at home do you think the bears are going to win at home it's possible Uh, it's possible it's it's possible I mean, Dalvin Cook. It's not a I prediction. Mean, <laughs> Maybe. That's a, that's a it's Maybe. possible. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I can't fake it. <laughs> I truly can't fake it. I mean, Dalvin Cook is playing like, yo, he came back from that shoulder injury. Insane. Um, it's possible. I, be, I, do, I do like Jalen Johnson. I like Jalen Johnson. I like Irvin. And so I like what we're able to do from some defensive schemes. The Vikings are not foolproof. They just lost to the Lions not too long ago. And so the Vikings, Vikings are a team that we've always been able to own, actually. I want to say we've shut them out. We may have lost once, but I want to say over the last three years, we beat them at least five or four times. And so um, for some for some reason. Um, but they run it back as no joke. They got And they got two balling wide receivers. We, we're going to get tested. So, sorry, prediction. Um, Bears lose by less than 30. <laughs> Johnny prediction I think it's actually a close game but the Vikings have something to play for and the only thing the Bears have to play for is trying to stave off losing double digit wins for the first time since John Fox's last year uh, so uh, but I, I think it's probably close in the third quarter Vikings find a way to pull away or a bad turnover by the Bears or some big blown coverage I, I just feel like Usually in these kind of games, the Bears will give up the big play, and the and the other team has an inclination to make the big play. So I say uh, I say the Bears end up losing 20, 26 to seventeen. Yeah, that sounds about right. I'm really afraid of Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook and what they can do to the Bears defense. Carve them up when uh, the Bears play against a team that's got a stud wide receiver and a stud uh, running back, then it just becomes so difficult for them to defend. And so uh, I don't have a good feeling about this, but hopefully I'm wrong. Uh, last question for you guys. Do you think there's going to be at least 20,000 empty seats on a Monday night at Soldier Field, or do you think it's going to be closer to 10,000? There was a reported 14,000 at the last home game. What do you guys think before we get out of here? Uh, if if they would have fired Matt Nagy, the place would have been a sellout. Um, but I, I think that because it's a Monday night and who really wants to spend their night in the freezing cold Chicago to watch a bad team play another <laughs> bad team, both these teams are under 500, right? So, yep. so it's, it's, uh, is it, is it really that much of a draw to go say, Hey, let me go freeze my ass off and watch two bad teams play a football game until 10 30 at night. Uh, I, I don't, I just, I, I, I think, if I had to pick between the 10,000 and the 20,000, I'd say there'd be close to 20,000 out there. 
Yeah, there you go. Um, we lost Tyler, so we won't get his prediction, but I, I'm going to guess that he's going He's he's going to say there will be half the stadium there. Uh, I, I think there's going to be – hey, the more empty seats, the, the better, because those boos would then echo off of all those empty seats. It's a lake effect, yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, uh, John, tell us what you got going on before we head out of here. Sure. Uh, tomorrow, Buffon 55. We're going to learn a little bit more about that Vikings matchup. Talk to somebody who cl- uh, follows and covers the Vikings very closely. And Alyssa Barbieri and I will be on to do that show. Of course, Danny Shimon will be on on Thursday night to break down all the tape of the Bears. Dan and Aldo, you guys did your show. Was it last night or was it? is it tonight? Tonight, uh, uh, Dan and I are on at 8 p.m. Central tonight. Excellent. And of course, uh, Mike North and uh, go back and listen to Greg Gabriel. His show yesterday gave a lot of good insight on the Chicago Bears organization. And be sure to tune in to the Barroom Network after the show, Bear Football. Aldo, myself and Tyler will be back to give you the raw emotion. I guess that'll be uh, Monday night (laughs) that we'll be on on Monday night to give you the raw emotion after a, I'm sure, thrilling ball game. (laughs) Exactly. Tyler, back in time to say goodbye. Anyone you want to do a shout out to? Um, shout, shout out, shout out to the entire network. Um, just the barroom network. If you just see all the content coming down, if you, if you're, if you're watching right now, just make sure you got the reminder set for any YouTube notifications because somebody's always bringing it in, in, in every single capacity. And so just shout out to the network, big shout out to my man, Joy Mandel, um, fantasy Tucci and the goon, because my man Joe came through clutch, very successful, um, charity. I'm live um, this past Saturday for my Boston Relief, and my man Joe was just super, super clutch, and um, he's a hell of a commissioner in the Fantasy Football League, and so we got the Barroom Network, Fantasy Football League going to the playoffs, and um, and, and and it's so the shout out to the network, shout out to the team, and um, shout out to my my man, my man John, holding it down, John and Aldo, like this is this is therapy. When I missed you guys, I had to I had to be on duty on Sunday. It was therapy watching. And so I felt better <laughs> when I woke up from my nap on, on duty. But besides that, man, let's just bear down, stay focused. And I know for a fact, better days are coming. And we just got to survive the storm. All right. Tyler, uh, you're, are you outside or hiding from somebody? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm undercover. I'm gonna stick out. Pusha says that you are in the dark room developing pictures. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, stay tuned for Dan and Aldo Bear Their Souls. We've got a lot of Packers stuff to talk about. So hold your nose when we get through that. And we've got an extra long media clips, uh, one of the popular things about Dan and Aldo. So that's all coming up in about 45 minutes right here on the Barroom Network. For John Buffone, Tyler Ellis, I'm Aldo Gandia. See you next week after the Bears game. Bye-bye.